Spiritology, of course, uh, there's four, uh, six DVDs in here, so we talk about more than just, I'm a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a physical body. And uh, it's amazing. Uh, we better have a real clear revelation of the fact that we that really were spirits. And like it says in, in Job, uh, you ha- Job said to the Lord, you have clothed me with flesh. So anyway, we deal with a lot of things there. And then the desires of the heart. That's pretty, uh, there's unholy desires and then there are holy desires. And guess where the unholy desires take you? <laughs> Wrong direction, really hot. And then you get over to the other side, holy desires. You follow those. And so we, we deal with that, the holy and unholy desires of the heart. And then along with what Pastor is preaching on Sunday morning, of course, uh, this is called apostasy. And uh, we spent uh, a couple, four sessions on that. And I bought a hundred scriptures because... We demonstrate from the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that as believers, I don't care if you're born again, sp- speaking in tongues for 30 years, you can depart from God if you want to. You're a fool if you do, of course. But we show how subtle it is and it doesn't happen overnight. So all the steps that can take you away from God and then also the steps that will keep you close to God. So that's where that goes. And then, the, uh, uh, and then of course, uh, we deal with the subject of alcohol. Uh, in the scriptures. What does the scriptures have to say? Like the wedding of Canaan, Jesus created wine. Well, we find out that in the Greek, there's one word used primarily in the New Testament for juice that's fermented or juice that's unfermented. It uses the same word for both. So we show you how to rightly divide the word of truth. And we find out, of course, that Jesus would have had alcohol in that wine at the wedding. He would have disqualified himself as uh, our substitute. He would have sinned. The priests under the Old Testament was automatic death penalty when they drank alcohol on duty. And Isaiah tells us because they would err in judgment and lead God's people astray. It's a mind-altering drug. So anyway, we deal with all of that. And I don't know how many sessions, uh, three, three CDs. And then the Bible, you've heard me say, the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is talking about God's plan of redemption. So I simplify it. I take you all the way from Genesis to Revelation and show you the gospel all the way through. It really makes the whole Bible exciting after that. Because <laughs> no matter what you read, you're going to see another little nugget here, another little nugget there. And then secondly, the Bible tells the redeemed how to live. And that's what we did here uh, very, uh, not too long ago, a little over a year ago. And we deal with all of the terms that a lot of people get confused with, at least I did. Sanctification, righteousness, all of that stuff. And boiled it down to how I, it's really so simple to understand. And uh, so we dealt with that with uh, five CDs and how we're to live. Put the word to work in our lives. So that's a real brief whatever. And I'll let you take these back out then. Thank you. All right. Glory to God. I know the reason you came tonight was to hear the word, right? Amen. At least that's what I came for. So we might as well get right into it. Praise the Lord. Well, glory to God. Uh, You know, we just have to remind ourselves continually that the spiritual realm is where reality is. And because we live in our flesh, we have a tendency to be so occupied with this physical dimension. And and we know more about our physical bodies, which are going to turn into dust and uh, roadkill. It depends how you go. And and we will just continue to live for eternity. And are we ready? Are we really ready? You know, if our our bodies were to drop dead tonight. And we have no guarantee that any of this will be here tomorrow. Our faith is out there for a long life, but we do make mistakes as humans. It just takes one little mistake, especially out here in your crazy roads. But anyway, <laughs> stay alert. <laughs> so we're talking about spiritual things. So if we could just, you know, just make a conscious effort for this next few minutes, just to let's just forget about this physical dimension. 
dimension. We had such awesome worship tonight. It was all about God, and that's what it is. It's all about God. And tonight we want to see if we can't, can't get a hold somehow. We're going to believe for the Holy Spirit to help us. Here we'll pray to see God's heart. And uh, I think uh, just for a short title, um, He Bore My Sins. How does that sound? Yeah. And we'll see what that means. I don't know. Sometimes titles are a little misleading, but uh, we're, we're going to center up on that somehow. And uh, so are you ready to release your faith? Yeah. All right. Just agree with me now. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we do welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Your presence is already here. You, have, even as you taught Jesus, we're expecting you to teach us tonight. And we just give you free course. And we believe with all of our heart that a spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of you or your ways, your thoughts, will flow freely here tonight. That we'll be filled with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so we can have a walk worthy of you and be fruitful in all that we do. And we just thank you for revealing yourself to us tonight so clearly that we can understand and get a glimpse into your heart tonight. Help us to see your heart, Father. We ask that you open the eyes of our hearts. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Well, let's, uh, uh, let's just kick it off here in Deuteronomy 5. And uh, I, uh, well, let me just go, come to Deuteronomy 5. And I, I'll try my best here to not go too fast. I don't know if anybody's going to try to put anything up on the screen or not, huh? Depends how fast they go, huh? I'm using the New King James tonight and the Amplified Bible. So, out of the New King James, Deuteronomy 5.29. And here is what God said. He said, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me. Now, in the Amplified Bible, it would say, have a reverential and worshipful fear of me. So, it's not the kind of fear, as you know in this congregation, uh, where we're, um, you know, scared of God. It's a healthy fear. A reverential fear where we honor God and respect. Him for who He is, the glory, His majesty, the universes, the worlds that were created, everything that we sang here tonight, He's holy. Who is this God? I mean that 800, they estimate about 800 billion, B like Bravo, billion galaxies out there. And the Milky Way is just one where we live. And the closest star is the sun. And there's about 800 billion stars just in our galaxy. It's just incredible. Who is this God? He said, oh, that you would have such a heart in them that they would fear or reverence me and honor me and always keep my commandments, always keep my word, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. And, you know, when you read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, it's really obvious that what God has done since Adam fell all the way through where we are today and he'll continue this all the way through the through the millennial reign It just seems like he just doesn't give up. He just keeps working at trying to pull people away from their sins and the consequence of sin. And the destruction that sin will bring them. He's just continually working, trying to get us not to sin. Because sin has in it the seeds of death and destruction. And yet, if you weren't here Sunday morning, you better get the tape. 11 o'clock service, I was here, it was totally out of sight. And we'll be, we'll, be, we'll be picking up on that, you know, tonight. And uh, so, he just doesn't give up. And there are consequences for sin, destructive consequences. 
And so we have to get over this idea that God has just given us uh, all commandments so that just waiting for us to break it so he can hit us over the head or whatever. That's not it at all. That's not it at all. God is love and he's looking out for us and he wants the best for us. And we've got to see that tonight. And of course, when it comes to this reverential fear of God, and I want to tie in with what uh, kind of where Pastor uh, was going after it Sunday. And he did, like I said, a marvelous job. And in Exodus 20 and 20, now you can read chapter 19 and chapter 20 on your own. And you're going to find it repeated kind of. But in, in both chapters, it's going to talk about God coming down on the mountain. And there's smoke. There's fire. There's lightning. The earth is shaking. I mean, it's, it's just like, what is going on here? Who is this that just hit this mountain? And the people are just besides themselves. And so finally, in verse 20 of Exodus 20, And Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, and that his fear, now this in the Amplified would say his reverential fear, this fear of God, that's where you have a reverence for God, you honor him, you respect him, you trust him, you obey him, you love him with all of your heart. That fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So when you have a reverential fear of God, you know, Sunday when pastor was talking about things, you know, he, he was talking in John 14 and talking about how the Holy Spirit helps us. And he got over there into Galatians 5.16. And, of course, uh, beginning with verse uh, 19, it lists the, the, the evil desires of the flesh. But in verse 16, it says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust or the evil desires of the flesh. Because if you do yield to those evil desires, sin and you practice that habitually. And verse 21 of Galatians 5 says, you shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it's one thing to sin and repent. I'm talking about people who practice it as a way of life and still call themselves Christians. It won't work. For a matter of time, your heart will be hardened. Matter of fact, pastor went right over there to James, and I suppose this would be a good thing to repeat what he said. In James chapter 1 and 14, let, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire has conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. That's spiritual separation from God. That's spending eternity in hell, the lake of fire. And verse 16 says, do not be deceived, my brother. So, but the reverential fear of God. Now, pastor, Sunday morning, Galatians 5, 16 he says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, he, and, and, and of course, he listed three points there. Number one, we need to follow the spirit or obey him. And then we need to, we need to avoid sin and then resist it. But now, if you're going to walk in the spirit, see, the sons of God are led by the spirit of God, Romans eight fourteen. Now, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to lead us, he'll warn us. He'll lead us away from those areas of temptation. And we'll avoid the trap. Yeah. You know, and I, I like the way Pastor put it Sunday morning. He was, you know, talking in Proverbs about the young man going to the, you know, to the house of the prostitute, the harlot. You know, <laughs> stay away from that. <laughs> stay away from that. Well, if you, if you listen to the Holy Ghost, he'll alert you. But even so, you ought to be able to see this is trouble and I'm not going there. 
But see, but if you don't have a reverential fear of God, then there won't be a reverential obedience. Now, we won't go there right now, but you can look up at home uh, in the Amplified Bible, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, 2, and 3. Verse 1 is clearly talking about Jesus. And in verse 2 and 3, twice it says, one, in each verse it says, Jesus had a reverential fear and a reverential obedience. Where the, if you have a reverential fear of God, there'll be a reverential obedience. That's good. Faith without reverential obedience is dead. If you really have faith in God and really trust Him, you'll obey. And I just thought of one thing now that Jesus said uh, when He prayed for the man at uh, the pool of Bethesda. You remember that? And then, of course, the, the leadership got all bent out of shape there, the religious leaders, and Jesus comes around again and sees them. And, uh, uh, oh, somewhere here in John 5 and 14. Afterward, John 5, 14, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you've been made well. He was healed. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. So there's consequences for sin. Pastor did an excellent job covering that Sunday morning. All right, but now... I would like tonight, this is our goal in the next few minutes. This is really what I believe. I've been after this now since Sunday morning. I shared with my wife where I felt the Lord was taking me, and she just kind of, <laughs> you know, like maybe this is just too much for one service, you know. But I, I really, honestly, I'll keep this down. Just, you know, I know this is just one service, but I really feel, I can't get it away. You know, I, the last couple of mornings, I said, okay, Lord. And he just keeps bringing it back. So I'm going to obey him. And with it, I believe he's going to make it very you know, the word is, as far as I'm concerned, it's not complicated. The gospel is simple. But, you know, it says in Proverbs, in Proverbs 29 and 18, without redemptive revelation, my people will perish. We need to understand God's plan of redemption and how it works. Now, with a reverential fear of God, well, Proverbs 8, 13, the fear of God, the reverential fear of God, the fear of God hates evil. To fear God, you hate evil. In other words... If you really have a reverential fear of God, you trust him, you honor him, you will hate evil. You will hate sin like he does. You won't enjoy being entertained by it. A lot of Christians watch programs and they're entertained by everybody else's sin. If you hate it like he does, then you have a reverential fear of God. And, of course, Proverbs 9 and 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom. The beginning of the wisdom is to what? Depart from evil. Don't sin. That's the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> That's the smart thing to do. <laughs> Romans six seventeen says, Before we were born again, we were slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. And then verse 18, After you're born again, they received the message, got born again. Now they became slaves of righteousness. We used to be slaves. I used to be a slave to do what's wrong. And now I'm a slave to do what's right. <laughs> the better life. <laughs> By a long shot. <laughs> all right. So our goal then, is in the next few minutes, is to, that we all would have. I'm, I believe in this for myself too. Take a step up in, in, in understanding God's heart. And as a result of that, have a greater reverence and an honor 
for him. And then I believe the church will be strengthened. This church will be strengthened and it will increase. Just like when uh, we see in Acts, same thing. We need to be strengthened individually. Alright, so are, are you ready to go with me yeah. on this little trip? Okay. Now, let, let's just back up a little bit because this will help us understand. This will answer a ton of questions right here. In Titus chapter 1, you know, in the Amplified Bible, and in verse 2, it says, Resting in the hope of eternal life, life which the ever-truthful God who cannot deceive, God can't lie. Promised before the world or the ages of time began. Now, isn't that something? You could look at Ephesians 1, 4 and other places too. Before the foundation of these worlds, he already had us in his heart. Before this material universe was created, much less the earth and man. Before any of this physical dimension was created, time is, is, is physical. He already had this plan of salvation in his heart. Now, there's a couple of things we have to understand. Obviously, somewhere way back there, before this whole material universe was even created, he had a desire for family. Now, we get these hints from the scriptures where we find out that Christianity is not a religion. It's a family. He's the father. We're his sons. We're his daughters. We're the bride of Jesus Christ. The whole family of God in heaven and on earth, Ephesians 3.15. Obviously, this is a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, and he desired a bride. He desired children. He had that in his heart before the beginning of time. But now what's so mind-boggling to me, in his attributes, you know, like we shared when we talked about the reverential fear of God in those series that we were here, we talked about his unique attributes. And one of them is not, not only is he all-powerful and all-present, but he's all-knowing. And he knows the beginning from the end. Like, for example, uh, we just narrowed down just to these 7,000 years that we're here as mankind on this earth from Adam to the end of millennial reign. He knew in the Garden of Eden exactly what was going to happen 6,000 years down the road or 4,000. No human beings know that. But he knows everything. He also knew that in order to get his family, he himself, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin would be made sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God. He knew he would have to pay the penalty for sin for us. Now, the penalty for sin is eternal separation from God. That's what he told Adam. Genesis 2, 16, 17, You can eat of all the trees of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, from the day that you rebel against me, from the day that you disobey me, you shall die. There, that's the penalty for sin. Eternal separation from God. And man couldn't save himself after Adam sinned. We were slaves to sin, slaves to Satan. No, we couldn't save ourselves. We had to have a substitute, a sinless substitute. And before the beginning of time, God knew that he himself would take on the form of a man. He didn't sin. Man did. So legally, he couldn't take our place as God. That would have been illegal. And God is just. 
He knew that before he created this physical dimension that he was going to have to go through. And we're very familiar with what Jesus went through before the cross and on the cross and after the cross. Now, that isn't love. What in the world is he thinking? I mean, he's the creator of this whole universe. One of his uh, attributes is he's transcendent, which simply means he's not dependent upon his creation for his existence. He don't need us for his existence. He's always existed. Okay, now, listen to this. Now, if he had, he gave Adam a free will and his will was tested there in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And our will is being tested every day. Where he's given us, in his sovereignty, he gave us a free will and he cannot violate it. In other words, if we choose to reject Jesus and spend eternity in hell, he can't do anything about it. Like he said in Deuteronomy 30, 19, and that's the way it works, you know, all the way through. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Choose life that you may live. Choose. We make a choice. There's nobody in heaven that was forced to be there. We're only there because we want to be there. But now, if he had not given man a free will, created angels with no free will. The angels would be created as robots, and we as people would have been created as robots. And God would have been the only one in existence with a free will. And guess what? If we all had been created as robots, there would be not one trace of sin anywhere. No sin. Now, isn't that amazing? Does that answer a lot of questions or what? How could God allow all these? You know, God gets the blame for the wars and the famines and everything else. Hey, if he would have created all of us as robots, you know, I thought about that. And I always come back and use Kathleen as my example. We'll be, have, be married, you know, 48 years in June. Wow. And uh, what if I had purchased her as a robot 48 years ago? <laughs> If I would, yeah, which ear is the best? What if I would have purchased her as a robot for you know, 48 years ago? And then I'd have taken Kathleen. That's a robot. Pretty robot. Woo. Mound her up or whatever. Those years, maybe we had, maybe didn't have batteries like we do now, but plugged her in, whatever. Programmed her. Wake me up, you know, maybe six in the morning. And she wakes me up at six. Good morning, Jim. Time to get up. Mm, I sure love you, honey. I'll have your coffee ready for you. I'll get your toast. Oh, here you go. Oh, have a good day at work. Mm, can't wait for you to come back. Now, what? I just have a sense that's probably how God felt. We... I want somebody, like my wife, to say, Jim, I love you, as an act of her free will. She's not programmed to do it. Wasn't forced to do it. Not programmed. But from her heart, Jim, I love you. And I I believe uh, that's what happened. 
God didn't want robots. No. But what a price to pay. To give everybody a free will. But you know, when, it, when the dust settles, and it will in about a thousand years, that'll be the end of it. No more devil or anything. He's going to have a remnant. He already has two-thirds of the angels that remained loyal. One-third rebelled. And at the end of the millennial reign, he'll have a remnant of people from all nations. Remnant. Not majority. Remnant. That'll make up his bride that will remain faithful for him through, for, to him throughout eternity. He will get his bride. But according to Jesus... Like Matthew seven thirteen, he said the way to life is narrow and few go thereby, but the road to destruction is wide. What an awful price to pay, but he was willing to do it so he could have you and me. All right, not, now, we're familiar, you know, with John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his living son, who so believe shall not perish, but everlasting life. You know, I think that thing's been on the, that verse has been on the bulletin boards everywhere, or the, the billboards rather, and everywhere. And you know, it just goes over people's heads. There's more to it than just meets the eye right there. So let's see if we can't just get underneath that scripture and let's see what's really God really did. All right, we are all familiar with the fact that He announced His plan of redemption there in Genesis three and fifteen. He promised to send his, well, he talked about the seed of the woman. And really what he's doing, he's, what he's saying here in, Gen- in Genesis 3.16, Genesis 3.15, I'm sorry. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. That's his right after Adam fell. He announced that he would send his son. Her seed, capital S. That's a supernatural birth. That's the virgin birth as he studied the scriptures. And that seed would bruise the head of Satan because that prophecy is directed to Satan. It starts in verse 14. And it would bruise Satan's head or destroy the, 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 the authority of the leadership of the ruler, uh, the authority of, a, of Orient, in the Oriental language, it means he destroyed the, the, the power of the leader of the ruler. You just strip him of all power and authority. And that's exactly what Jesus did in Revelation 1.18. Behold, I have the keys of Hades and death. But so he announced it there in Genesis 3. And what he was announcing, he's talking about the seed, the supernatural birth, the virgin birth. We see in Isaiah 7.14 talks about the virgin birth. And then we see that the gospel is the same gospel all the way through the Old and New Testament. And if we see it in Genesis, Galatians rather, 3 and 8, it says that the gospel was preached to Abraham beforehand. To Abraham. Now what did, God, what did Abraham believe? Well, Jesus tells us this in the Amplified Bible. I look at John chapter 8 and I bring it right down here to verse 56. Your forefather Abraham was extremely happy at the hope and prospect of seeing my day, my incarnation, and he did see it and was glad, was delighted. What did Abraham believe? What did the Old Testament saints believe? What did Adam and Eve believe? God would send his son. God would take on the form of a human being and pay the death penalty for sin for us that we could be set free and once again be restored with God. Adam is, God is holy. Adam was created holy. And as two holy individuals, they could have communion, intimate fellowship. Adam sinned. He became unholy. And the whole, there's one word that the whole plan of redemption centers on in the Bible. And that's holiness. 
And because Jesus bore our sins and paid the death penalty for us, now we can be born again. And Hebrews 4.24 says we're created in righteousness and holiness. I'm created holy when I'm born again. And now I can have intimate fellowship with God again. And that's why Paul said in the Amplified Bible in Philippians 3.10, my predetermined purpose is to get to know him intimately and the power of his resurrection. I can get to know him intimately now because I've been created in holiness and righteousness. He paid the price. Awesome, isn't it? All right, now, he then, eventually, he comes on this planet. About 4,000 years later, after he announces here in Genesis 3.15, and under the Old Testament, of course, their sins were simply covered with the blood of animals, waiting for the Lamb of God to arrive. And we see the, when he did arrive, we even see the Apostle John making these these statements here in John chapter 1. And in verse uh, 29, for example, the lamb, he said the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Jesus has arrived. All right, now let's look at Jesus. If we go, now I'm going to use the Amplified Bible for the next few verses. I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 2. And here we go. You know, First John 4, 19, you, know what that, you all know what that says, don't you? He loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Now, if you're going to have a reverential fear of God, then guess what you're going to do? When I look at Matthew chapter 22, here Jesus said it. He said in Matthew 22, he said in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind is the first and great commandment. So he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. But what did he do that we should really love him with all of our heart? Now, if you love God with all of your heart, that means you reverence him, you honor him, you respect him. But just exactly what did he do? Of course, I already said 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. Well, really, that doesn't mean a whole lot to most people. Sounds good. But let's just see what really happened. We get down here to Philippians 2. I guess I didn't get there yet. Allowed myself to get pulled off just there a little bit there. But Philippians 2, and picking it up here in verse 5. Come on, Philippians. And uh, in the Amplified Bible, verse 5. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility. Verse 6. Who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God did not think that this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained. But he stripped himself, verse 7, of all privileges and rightful dignity. He left all of his godly privileges in heaven. And then we go on in that same verse 7. So as to assume the guise of a servant slave in that he became like men and was born a human being. 
Now, I'm emphasizing this because I still run into preachers. You know, we talk about things and you say, oh, then they'll say, oh, that was Jesus. He was God. Oh, 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 wait a minute, wait, wait, wait a minute. He took on the form of a human being. And everything he did, he did as a human being empowered by the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit pastor was talking about Sunday morning that helps us in everything. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus succeeded in his earth walk the same way that you and I do. All right. He took on the form of a human being. And after verse 8, and after he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further and carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross. Now, I'm going to go over here to Hebrews chapter 2. Still going to be in the Amplified Bible. And I'll pick it up here in verse 17. Hebrews 2, 17. So, it is evident that it was essential that he be made like his brethren in every respect. Made like his brethren in every respect. In order that he might become a merciful, sympathetic, and faithful high priest in the things related to God. To make atonement and propitiation for the people's sins. Verse 18. For because he himself, in his humanity, has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried. He is able immediately... To run to the cry of assist and relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and who therefore are being exposed to suffering. Now, if you are one of those that says, oh, that was, that was Jesus. He was God. Well, then why even try to tempt him? Because what did we read in James chapter 1? I don't know if you caught it because we skipped past it pretty fast. And uh, I'll just read it out of the Amplified Bible. Listen to this now. I'll say in verse 13, James 1. Listen. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil. And he himself tempts no one. God, you cannot tempt God. He cannot lie. He cannot sin. One of his attributes is he's holy and sinless. He can't sin. So there's no sense even tempting God. He's not going to sin. But Jesus took on the form of a human being. Now listen to this. Now look at the next verse. Well, first of all, let's read this again. Verse 13. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil. And he himself tempts no one. Verse 14. But every person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed and baited by his own evil. Persons, human beings can be tempted. And Jesus took on the form of a human being. Now, I'm going to point something out here and then we'll follow this through. Because I don't know if you're really seeing what's happening here. Here's the creator of the universe who has no need for his creation to exist. He's existed forever. He does not need us for his existence. But this desire that he had in his heart for family, which we can see all the way through the scriptures. It's all personal relationship with the creator of the universe. 
Obviously, that's the desire he had before he created this. He has now, in order to get his bride, like it says in Romans 6, he paid the ransom price for his bride. He paid for our redemption in full. In order to do that, he has to leave his godly privileges in heaven. And he has to take on the form of a human being who is, cap- who is, cap- who is capable of being tested, tempted and tried and can yield to it. God is God can't yield to the temptation. But as a person, we just read it. Now, what happens if he sins? What happens if he yields to any of these temptations? He ceases being God. And heaven, everything out there ceases to exist. It's all over with. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Why would he put himself in a position like that? He loved us before we loved him. But what kind of love is that? I mean, that he's willing to lose everything to get us. When we sing songs, what an awesome God he is. Now, if he's going to do this for us, do you think he's going to stand by and watch when we're in trouble and everything? No. He loves us and he's with us in trouble. He's promised to deliver us from trouble. He's through the new blood coming. He's promised to meet all our needs, abundant on everything. I mean, he is looking out for us. And when he says don't sin, he knows John 15, 5 says we can do nothing apart from Christ. You cannot resist temptation and not sin in your own strength. But he gives us the Holy Spirit. You know, I'll just, uh, I'm just going to back up here again to, uh, to Philippians just real quick. And, uh, you know, your pastor is talking about the Holy Spirit helps us, you know, Sunday morning. And here in the Amplified Bible in Philippians 2 and 12, and I'll pick it up kind of in the middle. He says, work out, cultivate, carry out to the goal. That's verse 12 of Philippians 2. And fully complete right there in the middle. And fully complete your own salvation. Complete your own salvation. With reverence and awe and trembling, self-distrust with serious caution, tenderness of conscience, watchfulness against temptation, timidly shrinking from whatever might offend God and discredit the name of Jesus. Then verse 13, not in your own strength. Look at that. For it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating you the power and the desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction. All God is looking for are human hearts who earnestly desire to get to know him, to love him, to obey him and spend eternity with him. That's what he's looking for. And then he kicks in with the Holy Spirit and he actually helps you do it. You can't we can't do it in our own strength. He's just looking for people that earnestly love him, sincerely love him, want to spend eternity with him, and want to remain faithful and loyal to him and do what's right. 
And then he'll come in with the power of the Holy Spirit and help us. What an awesome God. All right, now, I was in Hebrews here. I finished, uh, I finished there, didn't I? Verse 18, for himself and his humanity. For himself, uh, let's see once. Hebrews 2.18, for because he himself and his humanity has suffered in being tempted, tested, and tried. Yes, I read that. He's able immediately to run to the cry of assist and relieve those who are being tempted and tested and tried and therefore being exposed to suffering. Now, let me go over here to Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, Amplified Bible, who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling of their weaknesses, infirmities, and liability to the assaults of temptation. To the assaults of temptation. But one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. He was tempted just like you and I. And there's the possibility he could have yielded any one of those temptations. See, there's more. See, there's the three temptations in Matthew 4 where he was confronted with the devil out there in the wilderness. It is written. It is written. But then we find out in Hebrews he was sorely tempted in all points. Even as you and I. From the time he was born on this planet, he had to learn how to walk. And how did he learn? How did he learn? Well, let me just take a, let me see here. I was over tempted in every respect, even as we are. Okay. I guess I'm going to just share just a couple of thoughts here about Jesus. I'm going to come back here to Luke chapter 2 and the New King James. And just quickly, let me share this with you. In verse 40, and the child, Jesus, Luke 2, 40, and the child, Jesus, grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now, if he grew in strength, if he'd have come as God, he'd have had all the power. But he's growing. And then you go over here to verse 52, and Jesus increased in wisdom. And stature. Well, if he'd have come as God, he'd have had all the wisdom. But he's increasing in wisdom. And then if you go, I, I go over here to John chapter 8. Look what Jesus said to the religious leaders down here in verse 28. He said this. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing of myself. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. He was taught, how did the Father teach him? Through the Word, and the Holy Spirit revealed the Word to Jesus. Same way as you and me. Now, haven't we been taught, Joshua 1.8, meditate on the Word of the Lord day and night, uh, meditate on the Word of the Lord, shall not depart from your mouth, in order that they may see what to do and observe to do and be successful and prosperous. We're to meditate on the Word of the Lord day and night. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The word meditate means to chew the cud. It means we speak to ourselves there and day and night, the Word of God. Isn't that how faith grows? Isn't that how we grow strong spiritually? Well, Jesus said this. In Luke 24 and 44, he said the books of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets speak concerning me. Now, we have no problem if we get over to... Psalms 22. You've read Psalms 22. It's a detailed description of the crucifixion. Psalms 22. Probably more detailed than the Gospels. 
and written a thousand, thousand years before, the gospel, before he was crucified and 250 years before crucifixion was even invented. And there's over 300 messianic prophecies in the scriptures like that. But then when you get over here to Psalms 119, it becomes very obvious that this is not King David and it's not uh, King Solomon. And listen to Psalms 119. He says, the Psalms speak concerning me. And so what did Jesus do in order to increase in wisdom and to grow strong? Well, here, listen to this as I pick it up in 97 of Psalms 119. Who might this be speaking? Oh, how I love your law or your word. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they're ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precept. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. That's not King David. It's not King Solomon. There's only one man that, that restrained his feet from evil, every evil way and never sinned, and that was Jesus. And it said right there in verse 1, I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. He did Joshua 1.8 all day long. I have not departed for your judgments, verse 102, for you yourself have taught me. You yourself have taught me. Well, we just read that in John 8.28. The Father taught him. How does God teach us? Through the Word. Now maybe you know why it took 4,000 years before Jesus showed up. God announced he was going to be born in Genesis 3.15 as from the virgin birth, but he didn't show up till 4,000 years later. Why? God put the word together in written form. So when the word took on the form of a human being, he could meditate on his word. <laughs> Find out who he is and why he's here. All right. Now. Let's do Amplified Matthew 26. Let's see if we can start getting right down to the ultimate here. Matthew 26. And here we have, we have the Garden of Gethsemane. That's after he had the Passover with the disciples. And in verse 20, Matthew 26. Come on. And I'll just pick it up here in verse oh, 36. Then Jesus went with them. Amplified Bible, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus went with him to a place called Gethsemane. He told his disciples, sit down here while I go over yonder and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to show grief and distress of mind and was deeply distressed. In the, in the uh, version in Luke, it says he began to sweat blood. Remember that? Then he said to them, my soul is very sad and deeply grieved so that I'm, I'm almost dying of sorrow. Stay here and keep awake and keep watch with me. And going a little further, he threw himself upon the ground on his face and prayed, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. Now, there's two, two it means, the cup means two things in the scriptures. It can mean the symbol of life and health, or it can be a symbol of death and evil. And guess what the cup is tomorrow? He already read Psalms 22, and he already read Isaiah 53 and 54. He knows exactly what's coming before that night's over with, and what's coming the next day. Beard plucked out. And he, would have, he wouldn't even recognize them as a human being by the time they're beating him up. And then they nail him to the cross. The 39 lashes, of course. Don't forget that. He, he had read all of that. He knew exactly what was going to happen that night and the next day. It's all recorded in the Old Testament. So here's the temptation. Here it is. What did he say? 
If it's possible, let this cup pass through me. Nevertheless. See, when a temptation comes into our mind, we haven't sinned. As long as we cast it out and replace it with God's thoughts. But if we take that temptation and begin to act on it and make it our own, now we've sinned. And Jesus was tempted just like you and I. Thoughts come flying through all the time. He just cast them down just like we're taught to do. Like, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3, or 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Thank you, Pastor. 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 4, and 5. Pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, bringing every thought into obedience of Christ. And so then, he says, if it's possible, let this cup pass away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, not what I desire, but as you will and desire. And then in verse 41, all of you must keep awake, give strict attention, be cautious and active, and watch and pray that you may not come into temptation. Why do a lot of us Christians sin? We're not praying. That that involves walking in his presence, fellowshipping with him, talking with him throughout the day. That you may not come into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Virgin Mary gave him the flesh body. He had this, that flesh body of his had the same desires that ours do. The flesh is weak. That's what he said. Now his flesh can already feel the nails. I mean, I, I'm sure you could if you were in the garden that before and you read the scriptures and you say, hey, that's me. And then now you're actually going to be crucified. You're arrested and all of this. But he already knew this the night before. But do you want to know what, why he sweat blood? Good. Somebody does. Brenda wants to know. All right. I found it in Hebrews. Listen to this. Hebrews, Amplified Bible, chapter 5, verse 7. Look at that. Get it up there. Look at that. In the days of his flesh, offered up definite petitions, thought it out strong crying and tears in the middle, always able to save him out of death. He was heard because of his reverence towards God, his godly fear, his piety. In that, look at it, that last two and a half lines. In that he shrank from the horrors of separation from the bright presence of the Father. All throughout eternity, he's never been separated from the presence of God. He came into this world sinless in the presence of God as a man. Tomorrow, he who knew no sin would take on my sins, your sins. He would be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And here's the big temptation. Because by faith now, he's going to allow himself to be made sin. He will become powerless. He'll be dead spiritually. And Jesus told us where he was going. Matthew 12, 40. He said, even though Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And so remember, the prophets are speaking concerning me. Joseph, one of, John was one of the prophets. And you begin reading, and that's really something. You begin to read there in Jonah and chapter 1. And what is the very, I mean, that's the type and shadow of Jesus in hell. Verse 17, Jonah 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Even as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, so was the Son of Man be the heart of the earth three days and three nights. Matthew 12, 40. What's he telling us? I'm going straight into hell for you. And me. And you read chapter 2. That's not a man in paradise. 
And then after three days and three nights, I like this. It says here in verse 10, so the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry ground. After three days and three nights, the demands of justice were met by the supreme judge of the universe. Three days and three nights, the penalties or the requirements of justice were met. And hell vomited up Jesus. <laughs> of course, on the way up, stripped Satan of all power and authority. Took the keys from Satan. Took the keys of Hades and death and gave it to the church. But he had to do that by faith. And that's a whole other subject. You know, and I don't, I won't teach on that tonight. But God calleth those things to be not as though they were. Romans four seventeen, And all through the scriptures, God was calling those things which be not as though they were. Even in Genesis 3.15, he said that Jesus had stripped Satan of all power and authority. That is 4,000 years later, Revelation 1.18. But if Jesus had blown it in the Garden of Eden or earlier, there would have been no Revelation 1.18. But God's calling those things which be not as though they were. And you could follow it all the way through the Old Testament. And then Jesus even quotes the Old Testament again and again. He's calling those things which be not as though they were. He's the first one uh, to be accused of name it and claim it. <laughs> He, did, he had his faith on the line and he developed his faith all the way through there. And he did the whole thing as a human being meditating on the word of God and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he made it. Thank God he didn't sin. But why? Why would the creator of the universe, uh, in my language, in my terms, my words, why would he take a chance? He loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Yes. But that kind of love. You know, I, I meditated on that. And I, can't, I can only think of one thing. Just looking at what we just shared tonight. It's like I've always existed. And then way back there before he created the physical universe. I desire family. Bride. Sons. Daughters. In my class. Not the angelic class, which is below the God class, but created in my image and likeness that I can fellowship with. And if I can't have my bride, I'm going to take on the form of a man. I believe I can make it. I'll meditate on the scriptures. You know, even 2 Corinthians 5.19, the Amplified Bible says that God was personally present in Christ. Being made sin and the cross and the whole business. In the Garden of Eden was the word. Who had taken on the form of a human being. But remember in John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. That was actually God himself. In the garden of Eden. I mean Gethsemane rather. Not Eden. Garden of Gethsemane. Allowing himself. As a human being to be tempted. But again it's like. It must be like. You know I've always existed. But what's the use of existing. If I don't have those I can fellowship with and that can rule and reign with me and that, that we can just be intimate with each other. If I can, I'm willing to, in my words, you know, he's, take the chance. And if I lose, that's better than existing for eternity all alone. It's either all or nothing. Temptation comes. Why would we want to disappoint the one 
who laid it all on the line so that we could become part of his family. Selah. <laughs> Pause and think about that. Father, we just thank you. You are so awesome. Just be honest, Lord. We're, this, is, this is something we can't get our heads around. But in our heart, we're just blown away. That you'd love us so much. That you were willing to literally become a human being in every respect as we are. Allow yourself to be tempted, tested, and tried. Just for us. But you know, he said, he promised his plan of salvation for the end of time. God promised God can't lie. But remember Numbers 23, 19? God's not a man that he should lie. He took on the form of a man. Where the possibility was he could break his word. And Father, we, we, we can't get our head around it. But our heart, thank you for opening the eyes of our heart to, to get a glimpse into your heart. You are truly one to be reverenced and worshipped and respected and honored. And, and you're, you're what it's all about. If you hadn't done that, our destination would be eternal separation from you in the lake of fire. And we're so, so, so thankful for what you've done. And we just, in the days to come, as we continue to meditate on your word, we just look to you, the Holy Spirit, to help us to even see more clearly, try to get a glimpse even more clearly in our own hearts. Unite our hearts with your hearts, Father. Help us to see your heart. That we may truly, truly, truly walk with you like we should. And then we thank you. That you've not only given us your blood, that when we do sin, if we re- when we repent and confess that sin, we're cleansed and, and we just continue our uninterrupted walk with you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your power that enables us to live the Christian life, to resist temptation, not sin. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your power. You've just made sure that not only could we be born again, but we could endure to the end because you're determined to help us. And all we have to do is allow you to help us. And I believe everyone here tonight, our desire is, help us, Lord. We can't do it in our own strength, but we we desire more than anything to walk with you. Thank you for helping us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.